Welcome to Because That's What Heroes Do, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. As you know from prior episodes, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and I are huge MCU fans. So we've decided to do the MCU movie oeuvre. That's right. We're going to do all of the MCU movies in this special podcast series. But we decided that was not enough. And now we're going to explore the television series that came out over the past few years on MCU characters. Issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you'll enjoy this continued exploration of the MCU universe. In this episode, we begin an exploration of WandaVision by looking at WandaVision Episode 1. This podcast is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. Before Megan joins me, I thought I would give a little background into WandaVision. In September of 2018, Marvel Studios was developing several limited series to be sent on characters from the MCU who had not starred in their own films, such as Wanda Maximoff. Actors who portrayed the characters were expected to reprise their roles, so we have Elizabeth Olsen back as Maximoff. And they were given a hefty budget, and it would be a continuity of story with the films, uh, these TV shows rather, expanding the roles and backstories. The producer came up with the idea of having Maximoff and Vision, played by Paul Bettany, living in a fantasy world of suburban bliss based upon his love of sitcoms and how they can be used to escape from reality. The series was described in part as Marvel epic, super avant-garde and weird, an action movie uh, with sitcoms, and a combination of superhero action and small-town silliness. The series takes place in a fictional sitcom called WandaVision. The comics were used to help shape the ideas, and they were visually inspired uh, by them as well. The writers dedicated to the show to nailing down irreverent tones, and part of this was inspired by uh, Thor Ragnarok, which was being filmed at the time. The central idea of Maximoff being responsible for the sitcom was a simple concept, but it became more compelling through a mystery, which was showing Maximoff and Vision living in a sitcom for the first three episodes, and before the fourth episode, explain the events from a real-world perspective. The story was grounded uh, and then expanded out in episode four. The show itself takes place some three weeks after the events of Avenger Endgame and is set in the fictional town of Westview, New Jersey. The Scarlet Witch character was introduced in uh, this series, and it linked to the chaos magic and a preordained destiny, uh, expanding on some of the magic which was introduced in the original Doctor Strange without limiting Maximoff's character. The uh, witchcraft 
was also introduced uh, as well. So we have lots of different things going on. In this case, uh, in this show, we have agents from S.H.I.E.L.D., we have agents of uh, S.W.O.R.D., we have Maximoff's and Vision's two sons appearing in the show. And it really puts to, pulls together several strands that were introduced and going Ford expanded on those themes. It was also a love letter to the golden age of television, paying tribute to sitcoms from many eras in uh, American television, and including The Dick Van Dyke Show, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, Bewitched, The Brady Bunch, Malcolm in the Middle, I Love Lucy, My Three Sons, and Father Knows Best. The fictional sitcom also has commercials uh, throughout the show. It's a lot of fun. It is a mystery, and it gives uh, a pretty good backstory into how Wanda Maximoff's character was developed and, most significantly, how the Scarlet Witch came into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This character was expanded in the recent release um, from Marvel and Disney of the Metaverse, so it really sets the stage for that MCU movie, which we will explore on an upcoming podcast. The storyline of Episode 1 of WandaVision is based upon the sitcoms of I Love Lucy and Bewitched, and it anchors on a simple misunderstanding. On August 23rd, a calendar is marked with a heart, and neither Wanda nor Vision can remember what it might be. Vision heads off to the office, and Wanda meets her next-door neighbor, who is significant throughout the series, Agnes, and explains the mystery of the date. As Agnes suggests, it must be their anniversary, and they need to prepare for a special romantic night for Vision. Vision at the office also does not understand uh, the date, significance of the date, but he uh, finally uh, figures it out as well. And here we're introduced to Vision at work, where he works like a human computer, but he doesn't really understand what he does as well. The living room of the home of Vision and Maximoff is staged for a 50s version of seduction and a sitcom. So the characters uh, really are awkward in many ways, but they have Vision's boss over for dinner, and the gourmet dishes proposed by Agnes really don't work out due to Wanda's powers going awry. So she instead's, instead's pivots to a breakfast for dinner uh, using her magic to help get things uh, ready for the dinner. It's an episode that hides a uh, simple surface layer of secrets, and we all know at this point uh, something else is going on. So episode one really is a great way to set the stage for WandaVision. Megan, I was very confused when I watched this first episode. I thought I was a child watching I Love Lucy or, more appropriately, the Dick Van Dyke show on television. 
What did you think or even feel when you watched the first episode, not having gone, not in a rewatch and not having gone through and seen all the subsequent episodes, but how did you feel in that first episode? Thinking back to when I watched it for the very first time, from the opening of the kind of the Marvel bumper at the beginning where everything's in color and you've got your normal comic book images rushing past you, but they're slowly fading to black and white until you land on the Welcome to WandaVision opening screen. And then, as you say, it was I Love Lucy and Dick Van Dyke, which obviously I didn't get to see when they were live, but the reruns of which, or more properly the VHS tapes of which featured prominently in my childhood. And I loved it. I thought it was absolutely charming. It felt like one of special episodes on a sitcom that you watch where, you know, all of a sudden it's a musical episode or it's a film noir style episode. And it felt like a treat with these characters doing this interesting new thing. And I thought they were adorable. The chemistry was really good. The writing was really good. The sets were gorgeous. So I really liked the first episode. And I would have been happy if they had just done like a variety show season of different sitcom formats. Obviously, that's not the direction that they went in, but I thought it was a ton of fun. I thought, to pick up on your last point, I thought this series was just going to be a comedic series where mm -hmm. they looked at or they parodied different sitcoms. I have to say I was very confused. For some reason, I never liked TV sitcom laugh tracks, and this one mm -hmm. featured that right up front. And so I immediately took a dislike. I knew I was going to have to hang in there because there was some payoff at the end. But I have to say I was really confused. I was confused when they were at home. I was a little less confused when Vision goes to work. But I wondered, what the heck was Westview? Did you have that same question? Or did you have perhaps being Canadian greater insight than we heathen Americans? I didn't have greater insight, but I was probably much more willing to suspend my disbelief. I was just like, oh, Westview, the town where they live now. Fantastic. I can't wait to get to know about it. And of course, it's going to feature really prominently over the rest of the series. But I was actually, I had been wondering if from a comic perspective, does Westview have any significance or was it just maybe a screenwriting type decision? Or maybe a decision in Wanda's head decision. Or maybe a decision in Wanda's head. Yeah, that, that could be true. That could be true. Because there was a lot within these episodes, these tiny little signs, these little Easter eggs and cookies all throughout the episodes indicating what we are to learn later. And that was the thing that, that struck me in rewatching and preparing for this podcast was the heart, for instance. I immediately thought, at some significant date, it must be their anniversary. And that turned out to be correct. But it also was when it all started. And that became so clear at the end. The series itself takes place, I think, three weeks after the end of Endgame, where Vision dies. And it's this is part of the grieving process of Wanda. And, of course, she would start when they got married, even though they were never married before. Although I think we can safely say they were a thing or an item or at least a couple. That heart turned out to be, I think, a great way to start. What did you think about, there was a couple of delicious cookies around Vision at work. So you want to tease us with those? Oh, you tell me the ones of Vision at work. I was really focused on the ads. That was the, those were the ones that I liked the most. What do you see about Vision at work? At work, there was a clock. I think it was a clock that said Stark Industries. And in the MCU world, you can't get any more cookie than Stark <laughs> Industries. Only if I almost thought he must work for Howard. And oh. Howard's going to stroll in. Well, that's a good point you bring up, though, because they it's pretty clearly not in the standard MCU reality. Right. Yeah. It's a very different reality. And now looking back on it, Wanda had always had great power. 
in the MCU or the universe. She sometimes couldn't control that power. But it also made me understand when I finally did suspend my belief that there's a whole lot more power going on here than we understood. And she may not even understand that power. I went in and out of, does she understand what she's doing here? And sometimes yes, sometimes no. But there was clearly a portending of huge power in the, in the mind of Wanda. Yeah, huge power in terms of the ability to manipulate the foundations of reality itself, but also the emotional power and the power of those feelings of grief and loss and eventually responsibility. I really like this series. And go ahead. I misspoke. It wasn't a, a clock. It was a toaster. And so... The toast aid. The toast aid. So the uh, Stark Industries going domestic, or at least into <laughs> home, home products. The I thought the comedic scene where... Vision Chews Gum was pretty funny. Yeah, that was from episode two when they're preparing for the uh, the talent show. And they did that wonderful animation of the gum getting stuck in his, his inner gears. That was delightful. But when he was at work in his first episode, you really got this clear message. He was a human computer or he's a sentient mm-hmm. computer or he's a something computer. I thought he was at an actuarial office to start with because he was working. My grandfather had one of those machines and... I remember going to the office and playing with a hand crank. Very cool. But the whole setup where he inadvertently invites his boss over for dinner led to, I thought, a huge comedic scene and a a true homage to the Bewitched or uh, other sitcom where the husband brings boss and boss's wife home for dinner unexpectedly and wife has to just throw something together offhandedly in only a few hours that's perfect. How did that scene play out well, for you? I, I, loved, I, I loved so much about it from the morning when they were talking about it. And this was actually one of the, the parts of the whole show that hit me the most is when we're just getting to know them and they're trying to figure out what is this date and one is moving the plate along, hits a vision over the head with it and says, my husband and his indestructible head. How's that for a slap on the face for what we know has just happened weeks or months ago? That, 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 when you think about it, it, I didn't get it the first time I watched it. The second time I watched it, it's, oh, no, not an indestructible head. Not that. Don't say that. So there's a lot clearly going on right beneath the surface. But when the, the boss and his wife finally arrive, I agree, it was completely hilarious that Wanda had mistaken it for their wedding anniversary and was wearing her lingerie. Gorgeous 1950s lingerie. That was absolutely delightful. And then Vision trying to amuse the his guests while Wanda's frantically trying to make dinner, which is plainly ill-equipped to to handle. Thankfully, she had some help, though, and I think that might bring us to our next topic of conversation, the neighbor. Agnes is in a hugely long tradition of irritating neighbors in sitcoms. (laughs) Know-it-all, be-it-all, busybody, never leaves, always shows up at the most inopportune times, and continually runs her mouth. So, Can we have three cheers for Catherine Hen, though? Because how good was she? And (laughs) she became great in this series, and we're going to talk about her at length later because of either multiple roles she fulfilled or the role. I'm not quite sure if it's one or more, but she was great, Mm -hmm. and she introduced herself as that classic appendage, the nosy, busybody neighbor next door, and of course, it's always a woman because this, Mm -hmm. of course, is the 60s. 
But the who hates her husband Ralph, which I think is also a common yes, my useless husband. Yes, my useless <laughs> husband. When I first saw this, the end of episode one, where he um, pretends to perform a Heimlich maneuver, but actually does something a little more invasive to dislodge the food stuff that's stuck in his boss's throat and he can't breathe. I found that really interesting from perhaps a different angle. Obviously, we have vision using his superpowers and causing a question to arise. But it also struck me as it showed the complete shallowness of the boss. And with one act of kindness or bravery or chivalry or courtesy or just plain being neighborly, it turned the whole relationship around. And it turned the relationship around for the boss's wife as well. And that seemed to me to be a theme that I saw a lot growing up. And so I was wondering, did that part of that scene have any sort of impact for yourself? I was a little more focused on the boss's wife, on Mrs. Hart, because while they were sitting there and the boss is choking and Wanda's saying Vision help him, after being basically begged by Mrs. Hart, she's like, make it stop. It plays on the shallow, on the surface level, very much a gag, but it was actually quite intense and grim when you were looking at how she was begging Wanda. Not Vision, who was bent over the husband, but Wanda to make the change. And I think that was a really interesting clue about what was actually going on. And in terms of how it, it altered the relationship between the characters, I think that it's exactly as you say, it was nostalgic. It is how they did things in, in, in old sitcoms, and it is an idealized version of how the world could be that our leading lady wants very much. We have Vision saved that We have the boss basically say, you're my guy now because you've saved my life. Um, I'm like, poor Norm. Poor Norm. And the ending, though, I got a real sense of unease because it became clear somebody was watching. And I understood that, yes, that's part of this, probably part of this story arc, but it's still, I got the real sense that there was a whole lot more going on. We didn't get too much information about who or what was watching, but did you get that sort of sense of either unease or somebody was watching at the end? Definitely the unease. Because again, like very top level, light, fluffy, fun sitcom, but like it, it was actually quite dark and often quite grim. And you could tell there's a lot going on beneath the surface. So I, I don't know if, I don't remember if I, I really felt someone was watching, but I definitely felt like it wasn't going to continue on exactly as it seemed to be uh, by the end of the episode. Any, I talked about the cookie that I enjoyed the most. Did you see any that you enjoyed or really struck you? Yes, I think it was from the second episode. And this was a little throwaway. But on the printed wallpaper in WandaVision's second home in their more 60s style sitcom, it looked like it was the Hydra Lab. Instead of some beautiful villa in Italy, it was the Hydra Lab from Sokovia on the wall of the house, which I thought was weird and frightening. And I think also in the second episode is where we had the ad for the Struker watch by Hydra, which was another really good one. And what I liked about that, or what I thought was interesting about that, was how the, uh, the ticking of the second hand sped up and it got faster and faster and faster, which is then exactly what was going to happen with the pregnancy that was revealed at the end of the show and features quite strongly in Many Women's Nightmares. <laughs> or as we say <laughs> in America, no, you don't control your own body. Sorry. The start... Uh, just as a side on that, you remember I went to Catholic school. Uh, and of course, there's the story of the Immaculate Conception. This was not explained well to Catholic school children in Canada in the 90s. And so we were all terrified we were just going to wake up pregnant. 
until I think we, it was not until middle school that they actually explained the mechanics. So. The technical old fashioned way. The technical. <laughs> yeah, that brought back a little memory for me. Just like, oh no, poor thing. It happened. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as Megan and I had fun uh, rewatching WandaVision and bringing it to you. If you haven't rewatched WandaVision recently, I would urge you to do so. It's a, a great show and it certainly uh, bears uh, rewatching as well. As this is a relatively new podcast, I would ask if you would tell your friends about it, if you're a lover of all things MCU or pass it along to anyone else who you think might enjoy it. And really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. It would greatly help get out the word about this passion project around the MCU, because that's what heroes do as a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. <laughs>